Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Hey, welcome to Politico Tech. Today is Monday, September 18th. I'm Stephen Overly. When lawmakers gathered a group of tech leaders last week to discuss AI regulation, they turned to the room with a simple question. Who thought the government actually needed to intervene? Every hand went up. That moment stood out to Tristan Harris and Aza Raskin. I'm Tristan Harris, an executive director and co-founder of the Center for Humane Technology. And I'm Aza Raskin, co-founder for Center for Humane Technology and co-founder for the Earth Species Project. They are the co-founders of the Center for Humane Technology. And for years, they have been pushing policymakers to force changes to social media companies and their business models. Now, they're trying to do the same with AI. I interviewed Tristan and Aza late last week, the day after the two of them participated in that AI summit, which was one of several similar meetings Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is hosting this fall. They told me that addressing the problems with AI, what they've come to call the AI dilemma, will require two major changes that, quite frankly, seem nearly impossible. Get Silicon Valley to slow down and get Washington to speed up. Thank you both for joining us on Politico Tech at what is, I know, a very busy time for both of you trying to talk about AI regulation and raise awareness around some of the concerns that you see. That's kind of where I'd like to start our conversation. You've both for months now have been talking about this idea of the AI dilemma and the challenges that AI presents if it's really not managed properly. Can you just give us a sense of what is the crux of that dilemma you see? Sure. Uh, I can jump in and Aza, feel free to add. I think when people look at AI, in the essence of the meeting that we also had with Senator Schumer yesterday, the Insight Forum, you can think of it as we're all trying to answer the question, where does all of this go? Where is all this going? There's this set of issues. There's perpetuation of bias, discrimination, disinformation, synthetic media, taking our jobs, intellectual property, combined with AI can think and automate and have an agency and goals of its own and can make money and can make cyber weapons and can make biological weapons. I think people are confused given all of these things, all these horizons of harm and horizons of risk that are all important at the same time. So the crux of the AI dilemma was to look underneath all of those harms, which are really symptoms of a deeper incentive. And I said this at Senator Schumer's forum yesterday, which is, I think, people say, who could know where AI is going to go? Like, do you want to regulate and stifle innovation early? Like, who's to know where all this is going to go? But we were able to predict first contact with AI, which was social media. The race was for attention. You know, how much have you paid for your TikTok account, your Facebook account, your uh, Instagram account in the last year? Zero. But then they're worth a trillion dollars. So where is that coming from? And it's not just the data. They have to show you advertising. Advertising is based on attention. The more attention I get, the more money I make. So it becomes the race to the bottom of the brainstem. So here we are now with second contact with AI, this new class, this new generation, new era of generative AI. And so people say, well, what's the race this time? What's the incentive this time? And we would say that the race between large AI companies to release and deploy capabilities into society as fast as possible is what is driving them to release lots and lots of these features faster than society knows how to absorb them. 
And the faster that they go, the more jobs they're going to displace. The faster they go, the more intellectual property issues are going to come up. The faster they go, the more they're not going to take time to fix discrimination issues and bias issues from the last round of AI that they released. So I would say the essence of the AI dilemma is that in our work, we, we try to invoke systems thinking, which is just what is the incentive so we can actually see the outcome and then regulate at that level. Because if you, if you just try to regulate at the harm level, you're playing whack-a-mole as the underlying incentive that's driving all those issues to get worse continues to happen. So much to unpack there. And, and so, Aza, I want to come to you just with this follow-up on that, which is how do you then get people to pay attention to this coming problem or a problem that is already here, but feels to some people far away. Yeah, that's that's a great question. And to really pick up on where Tristan left, like if we show you the race, we will show you the result. The race is the result. And I think if people grasp that, then you can bring them along for the entire set of horizons of harm. And we actually said this at the Insight Forum, which was, the way that we will fail, one of the ways that we will fail, is by confusing and arguing over the different horizons of harm. That the way that AI is impacting people today with discrimination, bias, all that kind of stuff, that's existential for a certain population. And we need to pay attention to it. But at the same time, we've already started to see the harms from not just the first contact with AI, but the second contact with AI. And what's confusing is that there are three different horizons of harm, and we have to take all of them seriously at the same time. It appears like it's a zero-sum race for attention, whose issue is most important, but all of them are most important. And you've both mentioned this AI Insight Forum that you participated in, along with tech CEOs and some from civil society, labor groups, etc. I mean, I wonder if you can take me a bit inside that meeting, you know, for, for you both, what kind of specific policy asks did you outline and, and how receptive did you find members of Congress to be? Sam Alman brought up, I think, a, a really important thought experiment. Imagine I told you in the year 2020 that three years from now, like go back to your who you were in 2020 and what you were looking at and what you were thinking about and how you saw technology. And imagine I said, in three years, there's going to be AI that's going to pass the MCATs, pass the bar exam, generate any images, text, et cetera, from scratch. You would have never believed me in 2020 that those things are going to be possible. We forget what we used to treat as normal, what we now treat as normal and, and sort of it blends into kind of our current understanding of the world. And one of the things I just want to say for your listeners and for those who are thinking about how we regulate AI is if we don't put on our Wayne Gretzky goggles and say our eyes need to perceive these problems at skating to where the puck is going to be, we, we always need to do that in general. We don't want to fight the last war uh, in DC. We don't want to regulate the last version of the technology. With AI, it's moving at a double exponential pace. Double exponential is a phrase that the people in the AI companies will use because AI has the ability to take the exponent of its already existing growth and make AI faster AI. For example, AI can make faster chips that train AI. AI can take the code that trains AI and make that code more efficient. Nukes don't make better nukes. AI can invent better AI. And so the speed at which this is all going, to go back to Sam's comments in the hearing yesterday, is if I told you in 2026, think where we are now in 2023, now it's fast forward again another three years, do you think that your mind right now is accurately anticipating the kind of new capabilities that will probably be emerging by 2026? Right. Yeah, I don't think so. The answer is definitely not. And if we want to deal with, I think, where this is all going, 
we need to regulate the thing that's driving that exponential curve. Because if, if the power is scaling faster on a, on a vertical curve that's faster than governance, now we're getting to solutions. What we want is a world where the new powers that we're unleashing in society are matched by the governance moving at the same pace and rate as the new technology is giving out capabilities. And there's a way to do that, which is also just slow the curve of how fast this exponent is going, and then to increase the curve of how big and how capable our governance is. So now, to answer your question, I think the biggest thing that came out of yesterday's forum is Senator Schumer, in a very important moment, asked the entire room, who here thinks the government needs to get involved in regulating AI? Every single person in that room and every CEO of every AI company raised their hand. That is what people need to remember. The companies cannot, we talk to the companies, by the way, we are based in Silicon Valley. We, our friends work at the companies. We know leadership. We have regular conversations with people in AI safety in the organizations. They are concerned that they are currently caught in a race to scale their systems and they don't have a way individually of stopping or slowing down. The ability to slow down or to govern this has to come from some outside force that's not one of the actors. And that's why the government needs to get involved. And I think that's what got accomplished yesterday. And I just want to add one quick thing there, because listeners may hear we need to slow down and they might be like, oh, we just need to pause all of AI. That's not what Tristan is saying. What Tristan is saying is that we need to move at the speed that lets us get this right. So I just wanted to read two statements, one from Sam Altman um, of OpenAI, one from Dario Amadai from Anthropic, because Sam said, you know, the development of superhuman machine intelligence is probably the greatest threat to the continued existence of humanity. And Dario said, with very powerful AI, messing up could mean killing a lot of people. I even think it could mean scenarios where it could kill everyone. So there's this place then that the labs are racing towards, this sort of race to risk, where they're building these sort of systems that can start blinking red lights when these models start having really dangerous capabilities. And we've been talking to everyone inside of the company, all of the safety teams across all of the major companies and labs, and we'll ask them, like, great, you're building the red warning lights. What happens when those red warning lights start to go off? And what they say is, oh, we should probably stop. And then we'll get, great, what's your plan? And universally, they've said, we do not have a plan. And this isn't trying to say, like, oh, these labs are evil. It's just pointing out that if you know the race, you know the result, that the race right now is to go as fast as possible. There's no incentive to actually build that emergency break. So one of the asks for Congress was, well, you're sitting on the outside. Ask all the labs, where is your emergency break? Who are you going to talk to in government when you need to hit the emergency break? How are you going to coordinate with all the other labs? Because they're probably right behind you so that they have an emergency break. So that was one of like the first big asks was to say, help the labs have enough spaciousness to be able to pull emergency breaks. And then the second thing, just, and this is, again, from having talked to many of the C-suite and many of these companies, and they will say, you know, there's a thing that we know internally that we cannot ask for externally. And that thing we know internally is that talking of responsibility and safety is great, but it will always get steamrolled by market dynamics and market competition. So instead, the thing, the language of business is liability. We listen to liability. And so instead of talking about just like, oh, we need responsibility and safety, we need to have liability for foreseeable harms. 
So that's a way to actually slow down that race. And you could also have laws that increase the foreseeability of those risks. So increasing requirements for red teaming, monitoring, oversight, building evaluations, building more flashing red lights so that we have a sense of when we're approaching certain danger zones, which again is focused more on the what is called third contact risks. These are the kinds of things that I think can move, help us move at a pace that we can get this right. Now, I know many of your listeners are might be, maybe thinking, but hold on a second. If we stop, if we do liability and we slow every all of the U.S. actors down, aren't we just going to lose to China? Hmm. But it's like, think about this for a moment, right? It's if I'm China, I'm almost whispering in your ear, "Go faster, go faster," because the faster you go, the more likely you are to undermine your own society. You are destabilizing your own society. I mean, think about social media. We raced social media. The U.S. beat. China to creating social media. Was that a good thing? Or do we race to actually sow the seeds of our own erosion of our democratic fabric, of our own erosion of mental health? We beat... We be- winning may not be winning is kind of what you're saying. That's right. We all want to race to build technology that makes the US and the West stronger and more resilient and more advanced and more sophisticated and have better science and more cures for cancer, but also that strengthens mental health, that strengthens our democratic fabric, that enables better, faster governance that isn't this kind of polarization machine. And I think that, you know, Aza actually shared this comment that I just mentioned in the forum yesterday, and I saw people really nodding their heads because we need to change what Aza said, what the race is is defined by, the terms of the race. Yeah, and that was, was sort of cool. That was the very final closing statement. Like I had the final statement at the end of the insight forum. And this was the point that I was making around defining the race, not letting China define the race for us. And both Democrats and Republican senators were all nodding their head like, yes, that is the direction we need to go. It's not a free for all race. It is a prudent race that strengthens America. Well, let me ask a few quick, perhaps cynical journalist questions, right, about how this all actually plays out. Because I hear what you're saying about, you know, everyone in the room raising their hand, saying the government should intervene. Everyone's, you know, asking for for help slowing things down. If the reality, though, is that business models are part of the problem, we know that these tech companies have long resisted efforts to regulate or change their business models. So everyone putting their hand up saying they want intervention is one thing. Everyone agreeing on what that intervention should be is something else, right? So what confidence do you have that these tech companies will accept regulation that is significant enough to their business model to actually slow things down as you're talking about? You are right to be skeptical. We know the playbook where they will say, because we've seen it in social media, we want regulation, just not that regulation, that they'll ask for regulation at the same time, send out their lobbyists to state capitals to try to block motion. And that now- Which is is what they're doing right now. Exactly. And now is the ultimate test of good faith to see whether they will actually work to accept regulation. I will say there is one big difference that gives me some hope, which is that it's not like Mark Zuckerberg and the other leaders of um, social media companies started out by saying that social media could existentially undermine democracies or civilization. They did not say that. But the leaders of the AI companies are self-aware about the immense danger of the systems that they're building. Specifically, just to build on what you're saying, is that when they started their AI companies, they literally started them with their safety teams because they knew that what they were building could kind of wreck everything. 
Imagine if Mark Zuckerberg had started Facebook with a social safety team saying, from the very beginning, we know that this could actually wipe out democracy. And ongoingly, we are trying to do this differently so that we don't do that. I will say that the people we talk to, the CEOs are deeply concerned about, in a very sincere way, about this basically wiping out humanity in a very significant way. And so while they will do things to block regulation they may think not isn't wise, I do think they do sincerely want something to happen that will lead to a non-catastrophic outcome. And so that's one place to pin some amount of hope. But to your point, you know, Stephen, everything you said is correct, that in the past, they say one thing during the hearing, and then their lobbyists go to work uh, some you know, right after that. We'll be right back. The Biden administration is moving forward with a slew of new regulations that put products like semiconductors, electric vehicles, modern healthcare technology, and clean energy at risk. Chemistry is essential to our modern lives, creating products to help foster a more sustainable and competitive future. The Biden administration must change its course and work with manufacturers on science-based policies that protect American innovation. Learn more at chemistrycreates.org. Tristan, I have to say, I heard that you and Mark Zuckerberg had a bit of a back and forth during this meeting over open source AI and the the safety of it. What went down there? I was just smiling because we're obviously good old friends. (laughs) No, honestly, there was nothing people want to point to to drama. And, you know, that's that's fun from a, I don't know, media journalism point of view. But really what we care about here and why why Aze and I really are doing what we're doing and why our organization and all of our allies who work on AI safety are losing sleep at night is because we really do need to get this right. And we're not headed in a good trajectory. And the thing I brought up in the hearing about what Meta had done recently is for those who are not following Meta released an open source AI model called Llama 2, which is about as good as GPT 3.5. And specifically, there's this thing that lawmakers really, really need to understand. Llama 2, they released open source. And policymakers are familiar with open source means usually Everyone's looking at the code, everyone's improving the code, everyone finds the security vulnerabilities, and they make those security vulnerabilities go away so the code is generally safer and more secure. And AI companies are smuggling in old positive associations with the phrase open source to policymakers who may not know that open source in AI development, open models, is, does not mean the same thing. I'll give you a specific example. Without boring people the technical details... Llama 2 was trained with something like tens tens of millions of dollars of compute to build this model. And they did a bunch of safety testing. And then they tried to tune it so it wouldn't answer dangerous queries about, let's say, biological weapons, right? Right. So if you ask it, how do I make anthrax? Um, Llama 2, as it's shipped today, will respond, oh, I can't answer that query. And then they will claim that, therefore, this open source model is safe. But the problem is that at a technical level, there is no way for Meta or any company, Falcon, UAE, any organization who's releasing open source AI, there is no way for them to limit people from taking off those safety controls by what's called fine tuning. So an engineer on our team at the Center for Humane Technology, Jeffrey, he spent $800 to run some compute to fine tune Llama into what's called Bad Llama. And he basically instructed Bad Llama, answer any question like as liberally and freely as possible, like to do the worst possible thing. And we asked Bad Llama, which again, he created for $800, how do I make a, this biological weapon? And it literally answered step by step exactly how mm. you would do that. Now, how accurate was that answer? 
not necessarily perfectly accurate, but the Llama 3 and Llama 4, which are going to be trained with even more data and compute, will be better and better at answering that question. And so the reason that one of the other policy proposals that Aza and I emphasized yesterday was the need to figure out ways to limit open source AI deployment. It's not that we don't we don't want open source AI. It's that we need to figure out and evaluate which open source AIs have dangerous capabilities right. and make sure that we're not releasing those because it is irreversible. Those genies are literally never, you can never put them back in the bottle. And that example, Mark retorted that, well, I think you could find some of those examples, uh, how to make a biological weapon in a Google search. And I was pleased to say Bill Gates backed me up and, and responded, that's, that's not true. <laughs> um, uh, so. I just want to make sure a couple of other things here because it's really important and like i don't think most people get it is that when people make what are known as foundation models these large language models what llama 2 is what chat gpt is what gpt4 is the full capabilities of these models are unknown even to their creators that's really important and i still think most of the senate doesn't quite grok that and then two that each of these new generations of models sees new capabilities that were not predicted. The other side of this equation you talked about was speeding up governance of AI, which I got to say, speeding up Congress, I, I don't know if that's more challenging or less challenging than slowing down industry, probably more, um, frankly. So leaving the meeting that Schumer organized, how confident are you that lawmakers are going to operate fast enough and strong enough here? And, and what should their next step look like? Well, first, I want to sort of congratulate Senators Schumer, uh, Young, Heinrich, Rounds uh, on re- on being self-aware that the traditional process of holding hearings over many years is not the process that's going to get there, get us there with AI. And the reason that they're hosting this unconventional format of the AI Insight Forum, of which I understand they're hosting many of like 10 of them over the, a very short period, like the next like couple months is because they need to move faster. So do you think that they recognize that? Am I confident that that process is fast enough to regulate AI? No, we need to, what we're talking about here is these, again, this unbelievable scaling laws of how fast AI is going to go and the kinds of governance we're going to need. I will point your listeners to the work of Digital Minister of Taiwan, Audrey Tang, who has been, I think, who's really the only practitioner in the entire world that I know who's implemented at a nation state level for the 24 million citizens of Taiwan, a online digital governance system that finds consensus about polarizing and contentious issues at a scale using technology. So she actually uses AI to find the consensus about when groups who typically sort of approve or vote up propositions that are in different areas, it finds when there's an unlikely consensus between those groups and then makes that sort of the center of attention. And they have done this to govern everything from climate change issues to masks to COVID response, and it's worked really, really well. And that's the kind of thing that I think the U.S. really needs, is that we need to upgrade from 18th century governance to 21st century governance. China is saying we, our old governance model isn't working. We're going to build a, a 21st century governance system, but they're doing it in the form of a digital authoritarian state. The U.S. doesn't want that. So we have to come up with our answer to a 21st century democratic and pluralistic state. And I would really point listeners to Audrey Tang's work. You can hear our interview with Audrey Tang on our podcast called Your Undivided Attention. That's one place people can, can learn about that. Let's say Congress doesn't speed up or, or the governance is not in place as this technology takes off. I mean, what are the consequences of that? Honestly, this is a this is a really important and uncomfortable answer. Like, we are on an incredibly dangerous trajectory if we do not do the, the big unprecedented thing. 
Like that's, this is, this is humanity's rite of passage. Isn't I often say that like, this is the moment where, you know, I think in Carl Sagan's words, we go from our technological immaturity and our technological adolescence to our technological maturity. Stepping into adulthood and maturity means stepping into responsibility uh, and taking responsibility for the fact that we are building something that we need to have control over and you don't release something that is infinitely more powerful that you also don't have control over. This is just a recipe for disaster. We we saw this with social media. It is so clear where this is going. We don't have to have this be our history, uh, the future if everybody recognizes that's the path and we can pick a different path. Everyone has every reason to believe that Congress will not act adequately on this issue. Something unprecedented is going to happen, whether it comes from Congress, whether it comes from executive orders from the White House, whether it's going to come from the companies self-organizing among you know themselves to say, even if this literally goes against our shareholders and our venture capital, at a human level, this is calling in from us that the part of us that is a human being staring at our own annihilation and saying, are we going to take the unprecedented action? I'm sorry to be so dramatic. This is not meant to be poetic. This is meant to take seriously the issues that we're actually facing. And I think what you're asking about, Stephen, is there are two directions, two poles that the world can move in here unless we do something. One is everyone has access to these kinds of superpowers, and that just is going to create catastrophes, continual catastrophes. Everyone having a wand where they can wish for anything. People can wish for great things. People can wish for terrible things. The things, the terrible things are going to outpower the great things. So we can either live in continual catastrophes or we're going to lock down everything and we're going to live in a kind of dystopia, like an authoritarian top-down, everything is controlled. Those are the two poles that we're moving towards. Those are the consequences of inaction and why we now have to take action um, so that we can find a middle path that is not continual catastrophe and not forever dystopia. Well, Tristan, Aza, thank you both for joining us on Politico Tech. Thank you so much for having us. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for having us. That's all for Politico Tech today. For more tech news, subscribe to our newsletters, Digital Future Daily and Morning Tech. Music in today's show comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our senior producer is Annie Reese. Our editors are Steve Heuser and Louisa Savage. I'm Stephen Overly. See you again tomorrow. 